Welcome to the Labourless Podcast. I'm Mark Ferguson. I'm joined in the studio today by Connor Pope for the Labourless Podcast. There's no Maya Goodfellow today. She's otherwise engaged, but that won't stop the two of us rattling on for a good 10-15 minutes about the Labour Party. We're really in the thick of it now, the last week of the general election campaign. We've had Tory attacks on Trident, we've had conversations about non-doms, we've had debates in Scotland as well as in the UK as a whole. But what's going to happen in these final three or four weeks, looking particularly at the polls and also the marginals? Joining me today is Conor Pope, and we're going to be talking about all of that and much more. Connor, the Tories have, have been attacking Labour today on Trident, haven't they? They have, yeah. So uh, Michael Fallon, the Defence Secretary, for those who've not heard of him, and I <laughs> wouldn't blame anyone who hasn't, uh, he's written a piece in the Times in which he accuses Ed Miliband of bartering with uh, renewal of Trident in order to get SNP votes after the election. Uh, and he said that Ed Miliband would be stabbing the country in the back Obviously, the big problem here is that Ed Miliband has absolutely no plans to barter away Trident renewal in a post-election deal. There's no way it would happen. The SNP may talk about it being a red line, but despite the fact that, considering the fact that a coalition with Labour has been ruled out, I don't see how they can have a red line on that when there will be enough Labour and Conservative MPs to vote for it. In the House of Commons. Uh, the, the, sorry, the SNP. Sorry, I was thinking about other parties in yellow that secretly won the Tory government. <laughs> um, the SNP uh, said they have a red line on Trident, but realistically they only have one red line, isn't it? And that's independence. Um, but last night they were talking about full fiscal autonomy. So that was what Sturgeon was talking about <clears throat> in the debate. Um, which was interesting because for the first time it made me realise 100% that the nation, there is nothing the nationalists think is a bad idea if fundamentally it means that Holyrood uh, it has more powers and moves closer to independence. Even if it means, as the independent IFS have said, £7.6 billion worth of cuts. What did you make of the Scottish leaders' debates? Because I, fortunately, was able not to watch either of them. What a huge disaster for you. But the first <laughs> one, the first one, um, which was STV... Um, that was more interesting, I think, in many ways, because it was two hours long, it was contained to just the four main leaders, whereas the one last night had the green leader, Patrick, I can't remember his surname, Harvey, that's how memorable I found him. He he largely seemed to agree with the SNP at every single point, right up until the point where the SNP started talking about how great oil is, which considering (laughs) was Aberdeen was quite a lot. And at those points, uh, Patrick Harvey seemed to want to talk about something else. Which was interesting. I mean, to me, the Greens just look like a, an annex of the SNP now. And also last night, there was David Coburn from UKIP, who is amazing to think that he's not a cartoon character, that this person actually exists. But he does, and he did, and he's, he's like, he, he makes Farage look subtle. Every answer was Europe, 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 and immigrants, to the point at which the other members of the panel were shouting Europe whenever he started answering a question, because they just couldn't believe it. So, the, so last night's TV debate was a bit strange. It was pre-recorded as well, which was very unusual. Um, it had six people in it. It was a bit unfocused. But the thing that both government, which she is, about her record and her party's record in government. And I think they're going to have to put Nicola Sturgeon 
on the spot about what her record actually is. And do you think Trident will come up in the Challenges debate oh. this week? Well, the thing is, Nicola Sturgeon wants to say that it's a big red line, so that when, if, when, hopefully if, there is a Labour government, um, Labour will vote along with... Um, now, I, I'm Trident agnostic. I'm not... You know, I think there might, may or may not be better ways to spend money, spend defence money. But Nicola Sturgeon wants to be able to... won't have enough MPs to, quote-unquote, stop trying renewal. Um, so they should probably focus on actually is a, a big rhetorical difference... Sorry, more than a rhetorical difference between the two parties. And by the two parties, I mean Labour and the Tories, not... In favour of trying renewal, as I'm sure you'd be shocked to learn. Shocked, um, Connor. Obviously, it's a shame that Maya's not here this week because I believe she takes a slightly different view, a different view. To, to both of us. Um, I think that actually this attack in its personalised nature from Fallon will have, would have harmed his reputation if he really had one. I don't think people really know who he is. So it's not going to have a big problem there. I think that I can understand their... The, the, the idea behind the attack that I think that Labour have not spoken a lot about foreign policy over the past five years. It has really been put on the back burner. And so I don't think there is any sort of cohesive idea in people's minds about what a Labour government foreign policy agenda would look like. And so the Tories can say, oh, they will trade away our national security. And people will go, well, will they? I, I don't know. So I, I, I think that is a kind of gap in Labour's armour that they've gone for there. But the reason that Labour haven't talked about it is because it's not really a vote winner, I think. Well, I also, I mean, I think there's a, I wrote a while ago that Ed Miliband needs to answer the Putin question. I still don't think he's answered at all. Absolutely. I mean, he he answered it in a way, his hell yes, I'm tough enough Mm -hmm. answer with Jeremy Paxman. He didn't actually answer how would you relate to uh, Vladimir Putin and it doesn't need to be you know gunslinging pistols at dawn with Vladimir Putin I think Angela Merkel's taken a very different approach of one that's been quite successful but Ed Miliband is neither someone who grew up in East Germany nor someone who speaks fluent Russian so Angela mm-hmm. Merkel might have two distinct advantages over Ed Miliband there I think foreign policy is a you're right it is a bit of a, a bit of a gap if you talk about one nation you also need to talk about all the other <laughs> nations as well um but that said, the Trident thing is, is nonsense. I mean, there are so many things that they could have talked about. Why hasn't Labour talked about X on foreign policy? And they would have been legitimate questions, but they've talked about Trident. Uh, Ed Miliband said to Jeremy Paxman, will you, he, Paxman asked him, will you get rid of Trident if the SNP asked you to? And he said no. In his leaked debate notes, which I'm sure the Tories will have seen on their fan site, Sun Nation, <laughs> um, he very clearly had lines where he was saying that the Labour Party was going to be committed to keep continuous absolute nuclear deterrent as Trident. And he also, just in case people had missed those debate notes, which had never been left lying around in the first place, frankly, he said it in The People on Sunday. So the twice he said it in public and the one, one time that he was going to say it in public and ended up being made public, I think, is, is quite clear. But that also perhaps suggests that Labour suspected this attack was always coming mm. and had been preparing themselves for it as well. But I think... There was a very interesting blog today by um, Alistair Campbell, I don't know if you saw it, where he said Mm -hmm. that uh, he thinks that the Crosby campaign is an example of an old-style campaign in a new-style political and media environment. And he particularly thought that 
this was a sort of panic move from the Tories. The Fallon had been marched out to go and make these quite personal uh, as well as political attacks on on Ed Miliband. Um, but that they don't really... It, it's sort of... I mean, it's not, it's not 1986. Non-doms. <laughs> yeah, people want a fair taxation system. I think that the Tories made a bit of a mistake, actually, in going for the process response to Labour's and has happened, basically, is that the Tories have ended up, I think, in a position where it looks like they are just defending... Obviously, the non-dom stuff is completely ridiculous. Uh, you know, the, actually, if you look at some of the people uh, on the nominal centre-left who have been very critical of Ed Miliband for being too left-wing, such as John Rantoul and Phil Collins, who are both Blairites who write in national newspapers... They are both well behind this move, so you can actually see that this isn't some kind of shift to the left about taxation. This is really about fairness in our tax system. Well, the other thing as well is that the Tories briefed out to Michael Savage in the Times today that they are considering, maybe, perhaps, removing non-dom status from people whose fathers are super rich and have the right to... I just think... If your if your solution to this big dom dom question is we will maybe tackle one of the tiny examples of this egregious example of unfairness, then possibly you don't really understand where this whole debate comes from and and where it's going. Um, one other thing that we should talk about today, I'm sure Connor's going to be delighted about this. He doesn't know I'm going to mention this. It's, it's <laughs> 23 years since the 1992 general election today. If you are if you are inclined, you can go on YouTube and see the point at which Connor's dad, Greg, became an <laughs> MP. And and terrifyingly, if you put a pair of big spectacles on Connor Pope, he would look basically the same. But when you look at the polling position now and the polling position in 1992, are there similarities? Should we be should we be terrified with four weeks to go? Well, what is really interesting, I have, in fact, as I have with many elections, watched the entire BBC election night coverage on YouTube. Special. Um, What's really interesting is that a lot of Labour MPs who became Labour MPs on the night who win Conservative seats in what are traditionally bellwethers, when they give their uh, acceptance speeches, they truly believe that it means that Labour are marching on to victory. And the way that the narrative changes throughout the night and it becomes clearer and clearer that the Tories have won is a really kind of fascinating story. Could we be seeing that again this time? The big similar shift, I think, in that sort of opinion from the 2010 election, which I've also watched recently, is that you have experts throughout the night sitting around going, well, the Tories will have to govern as a minority government because they and the Liberal Democrats are just too far apart on economics. Yeah. Five years later, we've had a stable Tory Lib Dem government. So what is going to be the story where people get it wrong, as they always do this time? I, I think, to an extent, it could be that people sit around going, well, the SNP will never do any sort of deal with the Tories. I think, I'm not saying that there'll be a Tory SNP coalition, I think that's very, very unlikely, but I could see David Cameron offering something to the Scottish nationalists about fiscal autonomy that would then leave them not to vote on English matters and giving Cameron a majority perhaps in England and Wales with Lib Dem support. And of course, if as the IFS have said that leaving the Barnett formula and going with full fiscal autonomy would cost 
Scotland's £7.6 billion. There is, of course, a reverse side of that equation, which is Cameron will be able to claw billions back from spending in Scotland, which could then be spent in England and Wales, places where people still vote Tory. It's very interesting. I mean, I think you're very right when it comes to how it's going to look on election night. I don't think we are going to be getting as many people saying, oh, I've won and therefore there will be an ex-government. I think people are going to be much more cagey this time. That said, it's entirely possible that everyone will be very cagey this time, but by two or three o'clock in the morning, it'll be relatively clear about how things are going. That's the remarkable thing about this election. And actually, I feel like it's become interesting genuinely in the past week, the way that has been before, but this is genuinely an interesting election. The thing I want to talk about very briefly today. So for those who are listening who aren't massive Labour nerds, and if you're not a massive Labour nerd, what are you doing listening to the Labour List podcast? Clause 5 is a meeting of the National Executive Committee at which the manifesto is agreed. So the NEC is meeting today for that Clause 5 meeting. The manifesto will be agreed today. Therefore, it could be announced any time now. We're pretty sure it won't be announced on a f- over the weekend. And after that, perhaps an announcement early next week. Connor, are you expecting any? Yeah, I think it's quite clear what direction we're going in. And there's already obviously been a couple of smaller manifestos released. We had the Workers' Manifesto, I think, last week, didn't we? We've had the Education Manifesto released today. I think there may even be a couple more smaller manifestos. It's got a Crime Manifesto. We've they've already been announced. A Young Persons Manifesto. I think yeah. a um, BME Manifesto was, was discussed, I think. Are we getting a Women's Manifesto? There is a Women's Manifesto. So there are, I would expect these manifestos... To, it's a, it's To be honest, it's a really good way for a party to take a series of announcements that have taken place piecemeal over the last five years, stick them all together in a single document, and then put a policy cherry announcement on top, like Labour did today with the careers careers service announcement, which, whilst it didn't blow anyone away, won't be on the front page of any national newspapers, it's interesting and it'll genuinely make a difference. So you're not expecting anything... You're not expecting Ed Miliband to announce the nationalisation of the FTSE 100? I'm not expecting specifically that. No. <laughs> I, mean, no, I think we can pretty much guess what's going to be in, in it, even down to what it's going to be called. I would put a tenor on it being called a better plan, a better future. But I will hold my, my hand. My main hope, as someone who reads Labour Party manifestos, which puts me in an even smaller group of Labour Party nerds than people who listen to the Labourless podcast is that it won't have the same photo on as a future fair for all, which looked like a family staring at an oncoming nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> which brings us back to Trident, and perhaps brings us back to where we started. And it's a convenient point to end this podcast. Thanks very much, Connor. Thank Thanks you. so much to everyone for listening. We'll have Maya back in the studio next week for the next Labourless podcast. Thank you very much, and goodbye.